So if our social media is full of body positive people, if the first thing we do is to meditate in the morning or if the first thing we do is to take some deep breaths and focus on something we do like about ourselves and all we need to do is hold that thought for 17 seconds and that's enough to click your brain into like looking for that throughout the day. But we can train our brains to look for the things that are right about us and we can train our emotions to kind of embed that in our bodies. Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode seven of season two. Before we get into today's episode, let's talk about Mindful in May. Yeah, I really just want to mention this uh, briefly because we've only got two episodes of the season left and I've partnered up with Mindful in May again, like I did last year. Uh, you may remember that I interviewed the founder of Mindful in May, Dr. Elise Bailiu. I will include show no- a link to that in the show notes. But essentially, Mindful in May is the only program outside a simple year that I currently promote because I believe in it so heartily. Uh, and I just wanted to mention really briefly today that they are opening up registration for their free five-day meditation course, which is happening in April. So before the actual month. That's right. Yeah. So Mindful in May obviously runs for the month of May mm-hmm. and it's a guided meditation program. Yep. Which you uh, commit to over those 30 days. Yeah. It's 10 minutes a day uh, included in the program. 31 days. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> did you just do 30 days have a September? So yeah, did that. Did. I thought you I did. so did that. Yeah. So Mindful in May, the program itself also includes interviews with people, experts, and then me. <laughs> I'm also involved in it this year, uh, and it's it's a wonderful guided program. But as a taster mm-hmm. to that, and as just a you know, for, perhaps you haven't meditated or perhaps you haven't done mindful in May before, the organisers are also running a free five day meditation program that's running. It starts on the eighth of April. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in finding out a bit more about mindful in May or the free meditation challenge, uh, head over to slowyourhome.com slash mindful in May and that will take you straight there you can sign up there's no obligation to continue on of course to the the paid program but if you want to uh you know they'll join you doing it can join me doing it and what a difference they've made it's phenomenal so this is the other reason that I absolutely love what they do it helps the program helps individuals to discover meditation and the calm and the clarity that that brings yep But at the same time, they're also raising funds for clean water projects in developing nations. And uh, up until last year, including last year, they've raised over $600,000 and they've got clean water to 12,000 people. Mm. And I think that that's just phenomenal. You Mm. know, it's taking these individual changes, which are really beneficial to us, uh, but also extending that benefit out into the world by, you know, it's a nice balance, isn't it? It's So wonderful. not only are you doing yourself a, a kindness. <laughs> exactly. But you're also doing, you're, you're actually, you know, in, impacting, as you said, how many? 12,000 12, 12, people 12, so far. 12,000 people so far. So that's, um, that's just another reason to, to, to get involved. Yeah, go check it out. Um, and what I will say is that it's a really nice link, actually, between, uh, to, to my conversation in today's episode, 
where I was lucky enough to sit down and chat with Meg Berryman. Meg Berryman of... Beyond Being Well. Beyond Being Well. Yes. So Meg is an absolute delight. This was the first time I had spoken to her. We'd emailed a few times and I knew once I had heard a bit about the work that she does and just her personal experience and her philosophy that we would yeah. have a lot to, to talk about. But man, this, this conversation went above and beyond my hopes and expectations. Why is that? Well, you know, those times when you just, you meet someone and it's just a, like a meeting of minds. It's a, you know, like a... The sparks fly. Yeah, and they Sort did. of like when we first met. Sure. Yeah, more platonic than that, but yeah. It was... <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know. Yeah, I totally get that. And you posted about it on social media I did, too. It yeah. was and that it was... sort of, it's that effortless but engaging conversation, you know, it is. isn't it? It's very easy but really worthwhile and interesting. So I want to give you a bit of background to Meg and our conversation. Now, the, the one of the first reasons that I wanted to speak to her is because she she wrote to me about the link between making changes for ourselves, you know, towards wellness or slow living or whatever it is that we're working towards, and then reaching a point where we turn our attention outward and those benefits start to to benefit the collective, mm-hmm. which is why it's such a nice kind of tie into the Mindful in May program. So that's that's what we end up talking about. But Meg's background is fascinating. And currently she is a women's coach. She's a mum of two little little ones. She's a yoga teacher. She's an empowerment educator. She's just warm and honest and really wasn't afraid to dig. No dig. barriers, no filters and no... No BS. Yeah. Yeah. So Which are the best conversations. They are. You know, just those the ones where you... The most fruitful conversations. You feel seen and you feel heard and, yeah. and it's one of those beautiful kind of giving relationships that spring up immediately. So I'm really excited to share this with you. Uh, I will say that if you do listen to this with your kids around, there's a bit of language in this episode. So just as a heads up, I've been asked to let people know about that. You're a very nice person. Slowyourhome.com slash season two for the show notes to this episode. And to find out more about Meg. Two places you can go. You can head to beyondbeingwell.com. And you can also find Meg over on Instagram at megjberryman, uh, just megjberryman, not .com. <laughs> I will include a link to all of that in the show notes, though. And I really hope you enjoy this episode, and I'm looking forward to, to hearing what you think about it. Hey, Meg, how are you? Hey, Brooke. Nice to be here. It is absolutely delightful to be talking to you from across the other side of the globe. The uh, the sun has just come up here in Victoria, so it's um yeah I reckon it's about as cold here as, as it is over there at the moment. But it <laughs> minus twenty five <laughs> that is cold. <laughs> yeah 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 you guys are hardcore in that weather. Uh yeah it's been chilly. You know it's funny just as I said um you know you're on the other side of the globe. I this is what technology astounds me with you know the fact that you and I can be having this conversation I'm staring out at the Rocky Mountains you're on central Victoria uh this morning our son got into bed with us and we were having a bit of a snuggle and he's like when we're back in in Australia we'll be on the bottom of the earth why don't we float off um you know, why don't we fall off and I'm like, what a cool question you know even just to visualize it 
But also, like, as a parent, so difficult to answer. Right, exactly, because of gravity, son. Because of gravity. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah, me too. All right, so I want to explore a lot with you today in our conversation, so I just want to get into it because you and your work focus on something I've found myself thinking about a huge amount over the last 12 months, which is this journey from wellness through to wholeness through to, you know, igniting social change and t- mm. kind of taking people, women particularly, on this journey from like, towards wellness but then continuing on through through to wholeness and, and beyond. Can you explain to me what wellness means to you? Because I think it's a term that gets bandied about so much that the meaning of it has kind of become muddied. It's mm, a really good question. <clears throat> My journey with that, word has been something that's kind of constantly evolving over the last four or five years and I think it starts out on that kind of superficial level right like we think about it as an external something that we need to attain Mm -hmm. and for me certainly like coming from burnout wellness was a state that I needed to attain externally and you know you and I have just been having a conversation offline about this external referencing that our kids kind of develop. And I think that we're just as kind of malleable in that way in that we look outside ourselves for the answers Mm. or the solutions or the to to get out of pain basically. We, We want something external to blame and then we want something external to attain. And so wellness for me started out as this kind of external thing and and as I've journeyed through the physical and then, you know, starting to unpack the mental side of things through meditation and actually getting to that like aha moment of, oh, my God, I'm not my thoughts Mm and I can choose my thoughts and like all of that mental stuff and then coming into that emotional kind of realm of maybe feeling some emotions that I'd kind of repressed or hadn't had the tools to really deal with when I was younger and then finally getting down to that energetic level of actually understanding that as a human being I'm essentially an energetic being and then what are the qualities of that um, that can help me to anchor myself but then also be an anchor for other people and like you said and then from there can we catalyze change in the world on that energetic level and so wellness to me now is so much more about being able to tap back into my own centeredness and my own groundedness and tap back into a state that's already within me um, using maybe practices and stuff that I've learned from outside but it's much more of a intuitive internal job if that makes sense it makes absolute sense and i think the practices that you talk about i mean they they're tools right they are not wellness and if we go down the the path that so many of us have and i certainly have which is thinking that if i if i meditate then i am practicing wellness if i Mm -hmm. you know if i practice self-care then that is wellness and it it can be but until we actually kind of internalize what those lessons are and and start to use them to fuel change internally and then eventually externally, I don't necessarily know that we're achieving things other than than using these tools. You know, I think there's a a big disconnect between uh, the commoditization of wellness and actual wellness. 
Mm, totally and you know wellness is our birthright it's an innate it's an innate state right when we came out of the womb we were well often most of us and we forget how to be that right so through society and through conditioning particularly women we're taught how to not be that and how to be separate from that and so what we perceive is is that there's this gap between where we are now and and wellness or wholeness or whatever Mm. state we're trying to attain and so we're completely obsessed with closing that gap but really the activities that we're doing to close that gap are actually fueling the very gap in the first place. And by that I mean what causes the gap between our birthright and, and being well and vital and energised and on purpose and soul-filled and all of these things that we want to be is the idea that we're separate from them and is the idea that we're not that. Like we're taught that from young girls and we're taught that, right, like to, a way to keep a population <laughs> disempowered is to tell them that they're fat and tell them that they're not working hard mm-hmm. enough and tell them that they're bad mums and eventually we start to internalize all of that and we start to feel really separate from those states which are our birthright mm. our creative states, our well states our connective states you know when we're connecting with other people and so my work is really about dismantling on an internal level those beliefs that we're separate from those states and then when we do start to call that power back and we start to feel like, oh, maybe I am those things, then the change that that allows our families to to create and allows our communities and our workplaces and other women when we step into that place is really, like, phenomenal. And that's, like, I've looked at um, patriarchy and feminism from a whole range of different um, backgrounds, you know, and to me, being able to do the internal work is really, really important to seeing that broader social change and more equitable, sustainable kind of kind of future. Right, because I think otherwise, I mean, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on this. If if we don't kind of turn the gaze inward and, and start to question and and critique those learnings that we've been taught over the years about what's wrong with us, uh, and and then we do start down this wellness path, I. I feel like it becomes another source of comparison or feeling less than if we're not doing it right. You know, we're not doing it the way Instagram's telling us wellness should look or the way that our yoga teacher um, is probably not on purpose but demonstrating what wellness looks like to them. You know, and it becomes another source of us actually feeling worse about ourselves. Totally, yeah, and I think we've all got that lived experience, right, trying to do something and force ourselves with sheer willpower because externally that, that felt like a good idea yeah. <laughs> at the time or someone told us we should or – and it, it just feels wrong. But because I think part of this um, kind of disempowerment is that we've become a little disassociated from our bodies, we've even lost the instinct to be able to tell what feels right or wrong. Do you know what I mean? And actually a practice to come back to the body and to to kind of remove some of the barriers to that so that we can get back in touch with that intuitive sense of like what's my essence, like what's my my wellness thing, like what does my body, mind, soul respond to to help me feel vitality and to Mm -hmm. help me feel energised and to help me feel whole. And for everyone else, I'm, I'm sure you and I have quite similar ones around nature and 
um, you know, time alone. And but everyone has really different essences. Everyone's really different and unique. And something I love teaching and, and showing to women is how to discover that, and how to discover that not only in wellness but in life. I think you know teaching mums how to find their own mama magic, you know, to, to cut the shit and stop trying to be everything, stop trying to be the mum that's everything, yep. find who you are and find your essence and then express that and remove the barriers to expressing that. And wellness is just exactly the same, like how you express your wellness and vitality is going to be really, really different to someone else. And I think it's a relief to remember that sometimes. Absolutely, because I think otherwise we do what, what we often do, which is compare ourselves to someone else's version of what it looks like. Uh, so, I mean, do you have a suggestion on where people can start exploring this idea of what wellness actually looks like to them as individuals? Yeah, I mean, there's a great practice involving like just taking a journal for a week and writing a big plus on one side, on one side of your journal and a big minus on the other page, on the opposite page. And every time you feel like that enlivened sense of energy and that sense of like being in your body, you write it in the plus side. And every time you just feel shit out, you write it in the negative side. You know, and it's, it, all it is is bringing your attention, your mindful awareness to what inputs are happening in your life and how they feel. And it just plugs you back into like out of the stories of the mind and in actuality what is making you feel good in your life. And that's the place I start like if, you know, back in the day when I was doing a lot more like kind of hardcore wellness coaching, that's where I would always start. Like we all know what feels good. A lot of us know what we want and what we desire. We've just been taught that either we can't have it that someone else needs it before us or that to get it, we're going to have to pay something beyond what we can. You know, we're going to have to sacrifice something. And they're all just stories that we've been taught around our desires and our well-being. And I love that it's it's just calling attention again to, as you say, into the physical sensation of, of you know, how we feel when mm. things are in, line, in alignment and also how we feel when they're not. You know, and I think it's also kind of just learning what that feels like. I've just finished reading um, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown mm. and she just talks about how she eventually learnt to recognise what like a shame spiral felt like, you know, physically, yeah. you know, feeling hot and, and getting tight in the chest and things like that. And I guess you're absolutely right that so many of us have been disconnected from our sense of physical self that we don't necessarily know how to tap into that immediately. Yeah, totally, yeah. I love that. I love, you know, Brene Brown's work or any of that, you know, mindfulness therapy type work where it's somatic, where it's like we're focusing on the body as a gateway into that deeper world, you know, but the body doesn't lie. It's always sending us messages. And I think we've just learned to ignore it because you've got to remember too, that the body is the place of um, where we experience emotion. And so for me, particularly, um, I didn't really deal with this part of me until I had kids. And then suddenly, like all the rage, all the hardcore emotions that I had probably not learned to process when I was younger, because this is the stuff we're not taught in school, right? Like mm -hmm. relationships, money and <laughs> emotions. Yeah. And 
So when it started coming up, I was so confused. I was like, where is this coming from? And it was a really troubling time. And it wasn't until someone helped me to learn to sit with it that I was much more into that intuitive state of what felt good or not. Because I think part of the reason we disassociate from the body, exactly what you said, like Brene talks about, is because it's where we experience really strong emotion. And so we don't want to be there. Like we don't really want to sit there. So having this toolkit to kind of sit with emotion is really important as well. Mm. I think because that's when we do things that, that numb us, you know, that's when we mindlessly scroll social media for three hours or we drink a bottle of wine or, you know, we do any number of other things that kind of dull our senses uh, or, mm. or distract us away from that. I know that I've certainly lived that for a long time. Uh, and the body will keep knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. And in my experience, it knocked until it knocked me over. And then I had no mm. other choice but to pay attention. Mm. Yeah, same. I had the exact same experience, you know, total, total physical um, breakdown. And and it was kind of perfect, right, because you have to stop and you have to yeah. – and motherhood's the same. You have to stop and you can't escape it because you're just sitting there with it. Um, but I, I feel like these days we just have so many ways to distract it as, ourselves from it. And we all still have them, you know, mm-hmm. we all still have these little cycles. And all it is is to understand that it's a learned set of behaviours to a series of emotions. So, for example, with emotional eating, which, you know, I deal with a lot as a way that women kind of keep themselves separate from their wholeness, Emotional eating is just a learned response to a series of hardcore emotions. And, you know, everyone, those triggers might be different, but most people have a belief somewhere deep inside that maybe food is about love and food Mm -hmm. is love. And that got confused somewhere along the line. And so when we feel, and it's very, it's very predictable when you start to bring that mindful awareness to it. It's very predictable, the the cycle, right? So you'll get a strong emotion, you'll get a thought attached to that emotion. And then from that thought, there'll be a cascade of negative thinking that creates the behavior. And then from the behavior, it kind of creates the loop back to the negative thinking, the emotion, right? And so when we start to kind of dissect like these behaviors that we find so troubling and realize how they're really serving us on a subconscious level like actually this is helping me feel loved or it's helping me not feel this really intense thing that I felt when I was a kid we can start to bring like compassion and kindness to it as opposed to like I've just got to push myself Mm. and like go to the gym more and women don't respond to that that's not how we it's not how we respond well to things is through punishment and guilt. Right. That's fascinating because that's kind of the modern way of dealing with stuff, isn't it? It's like if, if you're mm. not achieving those goals, then you're just not trying hard enough. Yeah, totally. Or when, it's like do it harder. You know, right. I remember when when I was going through, you know, postnatal kind of anxiety, depression, um, spiraling between the two and – and I'd, I'd go to the kind of the attachment mums Facebook groups and stuff, and they'd be like, I had a baby that didn't sleep, right, like at all. She just did not share was colic and, you know, all the things. And and it was like attach harder, like breastfeed harder, co-sleep harder. But And there was no space in that conversation for my feelings, right. <laughs> for my 
right <laughs> for my needs and that's what often you know that's just an example in with motherhood but women face that across the board right like oh you're not you're working part-time at work like work harder like prove yourself more or you're not losing weight like go to the gym more and that mentality is just so unhelpful and it gets us like exactly what you said at the start back into this cycle of like I need fixing there's something wrong with me whereas I'm like what's right about you like what's working well where are you whole what does feel good and start to amplify that rather than marketing to your pain points like it's Mm. just gross (laughs) yeah that's a such a such an incisive way of saying it marketing to our pain points because Mm. that's exactly what entire industries are built on marketing Mm. to our pain points and our vulnerabilities and our shames and our insecurities and Mm. that really makes me angry I mean that I, I can I can use that frustration, I guess, as a stepping stone to making changes because I'm really tired of industries making a profit off my own shames and insecurities and, and you know, things that I dislike about myself. And yeah. I find that for me that is a really helpful place to begin, just to understand that this is not a failing of me as an individual. This is because I'm part of an enormous organism where there's a lot of people marketing to my pain points and yeah. I'm up against that, you know, and I think yeah. just acknowledging that is so important. 100% agree. I love that you said that because you've got to understand that, the, you know, I can do all the work with a woman to empower, you know, the areas of her life where she feels like she wants to call some of that power back and then she steps outside, you know, the retreat or the workshop and context, right, is is like she's been shouted at from every angle that there's something wrong with her, like yeah. every every which way she looks. And it is a huge structure, a system, and it's two systems, right? It's patriarchy and capitalism have yes. made like, a baby and it's horrendous. <laughs> And so just giving ourselves some compassion within that context to understand, like, it's not your fault. You've totally been brainwashed since we were young girls and and our girls are going to go through the same thing but mm-hmm. more hard, mm-hmm. right? And so just to understand that even if you flip back into that thinking around, like, oh, there's something wrong with me, like we all do because context, you know? I mean, you're at your – Absolutely right. The context makes such an impact. I mean, you can journal your own empowerment. You can talk about it. You can almost convince yourself in your own silo, but then you go outside and you you hear all these things that, you know, you bring you back to how you were feeling a couple of years ago before you discovered all this. So one thing that I strikes me is that essentially to really experiment and excavate your own individual wellness is to live counterculturally. Like there's no way that you can fit neatly into that patriarchal capitalist system and explore your own wellness fully. Do you think that I, that's... I mean, I, I'm a bit of a radical. Well, I'm, I mean, I don't even want to say I'm a radical because it's it's not. I would say I'd, I'd be very happy like standing by that statement. My invitation would be to just see how it feels to conform right to see how that's sitting with you because my instinct is from the work that I do and the women that I see is that it's it's to survive in that system without any analysis or any interrogation of some of these beliefs that we've been taught as women 
is painful. Mm-hmm. And so if there's symptoms or if there's like a feeling of being stuck or if there's those cycles just repeating over and over again, they're all indications that maybe that system like isn't working. And there's some just really simple things you can do to start to shift what inputs are coming in because mm-hmm. the first thing you do when you wake up is to look at Facebook like you're tapping your brain into this system of of oppression and and that you there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And so we want to work like with our minds in this kind of reticulated act, um, activating system in our brain which looks for like things that are like mm-hmm. our beliefs or things that are like something that we've thought about. And then we could use that in a positive way, right? So if our social media is full of body positive people, if the first thing we do is to meditate in the morning or if the first thing we do is to take some deep breaths and focus on something we do like about ourselves and all we need to do is hold that thought for 17 seconds and that's enough to click your brain into like looking for that throughout the day. You wow. know, and so, yeah, it's phenomenal, right? 17 seconds is also, is a simultaneously very short and very long amount of time. <laughs> But we can train our brains to look for the things that are right about us and we can train our emotions to kind of embed that in our bodies. And there's some work I do with clients around that. It's too hard to explain here. It's all quantum physics and stuff. But just to know that, like, if you're not happy with how you feel, change the context and the inputs that are coming in and you'll start to be able to focus on the things that are right about your life and that's why you know people talk about gratitude practice a lot it's that theory of law of attraction that you know whatever you focus on you attract more of but what people don't get about gratitude is that it's not just about listing things off which I did like when I first started I was like I have a gratitude jar and I just write it down like put it in and then forget about it and you just have to feel it, right? Like that's the key with gratitude. So even if you spend the first 17 seconds of the day and the last 17 seconds of the day being grateful and feeling that in your body, that's just something really simple that changes how you respond to the context when you walk into it. Right. And then I guess there's things that we can do individually to gradually shift that context too, as you say, by uh, carving out a space if we do use social media Make those inputs positive. Make those inputs something that either challenge you in a, in a positive way or empower you or just make you happy, you know, make you feel connected to like-minded people. You can absolutely do that. And that for me, that was one of the first things that I started to shift as I really discovered and dug down into all of these thoughts and stories I'd told myself about myself. It was that the inputs I was allowing into my life were making it worse, you know, yeah. following people who made me feel bad unintentionally. That's not their, that was never their intention, but just by whatever they were selling was not what I needed. And kind of removing that and gradually creating a place that is uplifting has made a huge difference as well. Yeah, I love that. And so so the inputs is a really big one. And then how you deal with the inputs that are negative is the second one, right? Yes. So what you choose to infiltrate your boundaries and 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 give your power away to, right? Like if you think about the colleague that inadvertently like is rude to you or what, you could make that mean everything, you know, mm. or you could make that mean nothing. And so I think empowering women to realize like how 
if you actually do a visualization and imagine how many people currently hold some of your power, you know, how many people you or things or places that are holding little bits of power that you're waiting for them to change and respond differently to make you feel better in your body. And when you think about it like that, you're like, shit, like I've given all of this power away and no wonder I feel scattered and weird, right? And so there's just a really simple visualisation. You can call it back in where you're like inhaling it back into your kind of abdomen area and letting it fill you back up and allowing you to land back in your body because no one is going to ever change enough to to get the anxiety out of your body. Mm. And waiting for them to is like part of the way that we've kept ourselves powerless in a way, particularly as, and I'm going to call it like white, able-bodied women, you know, like we have choice far beyond a lot of other people. And so I think it's really important to look for where we've intentionally given that power away and where we can easily just call it back. That's really powerful. That's an incredibly powerful thing to realize, I think, and then to internalize and then start start working on. Now, one of the mm. other things that when you and I first got in touch that I was so keen to to dive into is this idea, this this notion of moving beyond the self with these changes. Mm -hmm. And I think the self is the absolutely where we need to begin because as we've just dissected, we we are carrying around so much pain and so much anxiety that we need to to work through that. But what I've been thinking on over the last six months or so is that we we then have an opportunity to experience Band, the things that we have learned and the goodness that we have created and the, the, you know, call it whatever you want, the wholeness that we have been able to, to create in ourselves and, and flow that out into the world, you know, so moving beyond the self into the collective. And mm. I know that's something that you talk about a lot. So I'd mm. love to dive into that a bit because I think that there is a tendency, certainly was with me, to stay in that comfortably self-centered place beyond when I needed to be. You know, yeah. and the calling that I've felt very deeply in the last few months is, okay, now it's time to turn outwards and, and spread that benefit. Do you find that yeah. that's something that, um, that a lot of people will arrive at eventually once they have reached that point of wholeness in themselves? Yeah, I think so. In my experience, that's certainly, you know, contribution is is one of our needs as humans. It's something that is quite innate in us. And I think it's rather than being a linear process of like arriving there, I think we go through cycles where we find that we've got enough energy back within ourselves and we've found a point of groundedness and centeredness where we feel the natural need to expand and so with women I teach a lot of working with these cycles and seasons right Mm -hmm. because as women we're cyclical beings we're not robots we don't operate the same every single day of the month we have a different biochemical makeup every day of the month and so how can we expect ourselves to perform like men do we're not the same right and and those so those cycles definitely i think come around to this need to like express and expand out into the world and to to make change in the world and i think we hide from that because it seems too hard and you just you know the reminder i always like to say is you could go to a restaurant today 
and you could go on Facebook and give that restaurant a one-star rating and, like, take that restaurant down with the click of your thumb. Mm-hmm. And so as consumers, we feel really empowered, right, because we've grown up in that system, we understand it. And yet as social change makers, we're like, oh, that's a bit hard. Right. <laughs> I can't I can't do that and so it's like how do we apply the same theory to making social change and I've seen so I worked as an aid worker for 10 years in the and you know from grassroots not-for-profits right up to the UN I've seen like the system which is another system right and I was so frustrated in that system because it seemed to me to be replicating the inequalities in the world that we were trying to address because that system was still run by old white men, right? right? And so I was found it really frustrating. And coming back to this, like, personal empowerment work and then seeing how that has affected people around me and seeing that the most important thing is that it's allowed me to come at social change from a lens of not being a saviour, right? Like yes. I'm not a white saviour that's here to, like, enlighten you all I'm an empowered being a woman and when I stand in my power and I'm not trying to fix you or save you but if I just purely stand energetically in my power that has a resonance that allows other people to do the same right or if as an empowered woman I can put forward other voices into the world like women of color and you know people working in marginalized communities I if if I can stand in my power long enough to give them a voice, then that's really empowering. Yeah, I absolutely love that it's that you first of all raised the idea of being a white savior because I think that that's sort of where it's easier to come from if you're feeling insecure about making change in the world. It's like, well, let me fix things. You know, let me come mm. in and show you the way to do things. That's not helpful. I've started, like I was saying before, carving out a space on social media where I'm challenged by a lot of the people that I follow. Uh, I follow mm. an Instagram profile called No White Saviors, which is really challenging and really important, you know, uh, talking about that just exactly that idea and following a lot of women of color on social media and reading their emails and reading their books and just engaging with what they're telling me, you know. And yeah. I think that you raised it before as you know, white, able-bodied women, we hold privilege. And for me, privilege, look, I understand that the idea of privilege is a topic that gets people kind of defensive and that was absolutely me for a long time. But I've come to realise that what is it if it's not opportunity to mm. to do exactly what you're saying, you know, stand in, in our own power and, and allow other people the opportunity to do the same thing? Mm-hmm. Totally. And if you think about, you know, a lot of people used to come and be like, oh, I want to go and volunteer in X country and blah, blah, blah. And I want to start an orphanage. And all of that's like, I'm not disagreeing with the intentionality behind it. Of course, yeah. But I think that as women, we have to unpack this idea that we've been taught that we are nurturers alone and that we need to fix other people because they're in a way beliefs that keep us separate from that wholeness because it keeps us in this self-sacrificing mode Mm. which kind of sometimes feels safe and I'll give you a really clear example so when you're the when you when your kids are playing and they're like being really silly and they're like mom come and play and you're like no I'm gonna do the chores right (laughs) 
you have to understand that that feels safer for women to play that role because we received love for playing that role growing up. We were rewarded and celebrated for being the nurturer and the saviour. And so a lot of women use that kind of belief system to operate in life, and that's not powerful either. And so I think moving this conversation, you know, when we when we talk about going from wholeness to beyond, in quotation marks, like doing things, although inspired action will come from it, and it's much more that standing in that energetic space of power and then seeing you're called to do like seeing what expression comes through that's your magic and that's your your expression and to understand that we're less likely to change the world but far more likely to change our world right so to to not discount the impacts of doing this internal work on your family and your friends and your colleagues and your workplaces and over time as women if we can all do that internal work like that's that's the new wave of feminism to me. Right. That's what's going to a new version of feminism where we're not just trying to be men and being able to be equal to them, but where we're actually ourselves. Yeah. It's so incredibly powerful and uh, scary, you know, because as you say, it's it's wrapped up in so many years of being rewarded for like that self-sacrifice. That was a really powerful example, actually. I found myself uh, recognizing my own choices a lot in that. And it's um, kind of daunting to realize and also exciting to realize that we have in our hands, in our actions, in our words, the opportunity to change that for the next generation, you know, of, of, as you say, making those internal changes in our family and in our workplace. And that's something that I'm so excited to explore more because I truly think that that's how we change the world. We don't necessarily change it in one bold moment. You know, we change it through choices and words and actions to the people closest to us. And then we encourage them to do the same thing. And that ripple effect is beautiful, you know, and it's, it's slow, but it's deep. It is. I love. I you just put it so much more eloquently than I could have. But like, it's, you know, the the reason I wanted to come on this show and why I've been such like a you know fangirling you guys for so long is because I really see the slow living movement as such a huge part of that. Because what other movement is allowing people the space and the insight to be able to to discover their own essence, mm. you know, and to discover their own gifts. And you're right that it's about all these tiny little actions. And what I always say is I stopped being obsessed with looking for my purpose, right, and I started mm. finding purpose in everything that I did, like in every little tiny thing that I did, from the books that I read to my daughter, and we always change all the um, all the characters to be girls, right? And so yeah. now when she sees an inanimate object or an animal, she says she. And it sounds like really small, but you think about the impact of her recognising women in everything right. and, and the magic of that and the ripple effect of that. And you just realise how powerful we are. And so to keep us out of shame and out of like overwhelming, like, oh, the world, it's too big, to just stay really committed to those little things and finding purpose in hanging out the, 
the bloody washing, you know. <laughs> you can find purpose in everything if you want to. I absolutely love that that flip, you know, between the obsession from the obsession of finding our purpose. And I think that is a conversation that is continuing to grow at the moment. You know, find your purpose and and go from there. And I'm not saying that it's wrong at all because I know some people are incredibly purpose-driven based on one particular, you know, goal or area. But I love the idea of flipping that and saying there is purpose in every single moment, every choice, every action. And for me, that feels so... Um, like enlivened, you know, it, it changes everything. It changes your entire day to think that every choice has purpose attached to it. And I think yeah. that so many people, I'm not sure if you come across it as well, but in your work, so many people want to make positive change in their families, in themselves, in their communities, but they feel so overwhelmed by mm. the number of problems and the the size of the problems, you know, that, that well, what can I do? What what good will, will I bring to this? And I think you've just, mm. you've given the answer. That's how you do yeah. it with every single choice and every single action that you make throughout the day. It is, it's it's where we get into the spiritual, right, as well. And, and having having some spiritual lean, you know, I, I, not, not having some spiritual leaning, acknowledging that we're spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. As humans in the ego, we're obsessed with attribution. And by that, I mean, you want to see cause and effect. You want to see your action making a huge impact and right. you want to like get the benefits right and so that's what keeps us paralyzed and what if we could change that and be like I trust that if I follow my inner guidance system and if I follow what feels good and what's working well that that is going to have the best impact on the world and the people around me then that's like kind of the act of revolution in itself Hmm. In that it's letting go of, of the seeing the results for your ego and it's actually just trusting that that inner guidance system is the truth. And I think that's what the slow living movement and, and the like these communities, if we could harness them together to make change in a positive way, like that's a lot of power right there. Mm-hmm not being utilised for the collective at the moment and it's been only utilised for the individual. And so I have great hope for the future, Brooke, I do. So do I, um, particularly after talking to you. This has been such a phenomenal conversation. Meg, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. I'm really grateful for you guys. You know, me and my husband often talk about that, like you guys are, are kind of our friends but you don't know we are because we've followed your podcast for so long and, you know, we've, we've tree changed and, We've kind of followed your guidance and followed your um, the the guidance of all your guests over the years, and so I'm just so privileged and honoured to be here as well. So thank you. No, thank you for sharing, and uh, I have a feeling this won't be the last conversation we have, me and you. No, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what manifests in the future. Me too. Thanks, Meg. Thank you. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.